yeah, good evening, Ms. Jen. My name is Eugene, and today as a servant of this house, now as a full-time staff on, uh, with the Nexus team uh, with the YA ministry, I will be preaching today on serving, on serving. And today I know a lot of us just came back from Grace Retreat. A lot of us served, so thank you for serving as well for those who served at Grace Retreat. I know some of us came back at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock yesterday on our buses, and then by the time we reached home, wow, we were so hungry for dinner. So I mean, dinner it became supper, but we were so hungry. <laughs> so thank you for serving. But today, we are going to be talking about serving. Right? And my title for my sermon today is called Servant King. And our big idea for today is serving others is the most Christ-like thing you can do. Right? Serving others is the most Christ-like thing you can do. Let's pray. Father Lord, today as we come before you, uh, ready to hear your word, Lord, teach us to serve like you did. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And when I mention the word greatness, you know, what kind of names come to mind for you? LeBron James, maybe. Michael Jordan. <laughs> we got a LeBron fan. Or maybe, you know, you, you're thinking of uh, Minister Mentor Lee Kuan Yew or, or, or Martin Luther King Jr. I, I mean, I'm coming out of these names, right? But y'all got the names in your head, right? So y'all kind of know, like, your generation kind of names. Okay, these, these, I feel like it's my generation kind of names. But when we think about great people, we think about these names, right? And these names come to mind, right? And we automatically think about people in power, people with wealth, people with prestige or privilege, or people with really great um, mental and physical capacities. And don't get me wrong, you know, these things are very commendable. But do we stop and define, you know, what the most fundamental word in this question, you know, we are, do we stop and ask ourselves, what is greatness? Because you see, next gen, everything disciples us, right? Our social media feed disciples us. Instagram, Reddit, TikTok disciples us. Memes disciple us. But not everything disciples us towards God's definition of greatness. And in today's key passage of Mark chapter 10, verse 42, Jesus very clearly outlines the kingdom definition of greatness. But before we read this passage, I just want to set the context for you uh, before we read yeah, uh, Jesus' words. Right? So Jesus, you know, he had many followers in, in his time during his ministry, but he kept 12 young men especially close to him. And these people were, are known to us today as the 12 disciples, right, who later you know, became some of the greatest preachers the world has known, some of the greatest church planters, healers, evangelists, you know, that the world has ever seen. But now, at this point of the story in Mark, these people are still young men, right? Not unlike yourself. Young, hot-blooded young adults who just knew that the man that they were following, Jesus, was not an ordinary man, right? That they just knew that he was the son of God. So two of these disciples were a pair of brothers, right, called James and John, and one day, while all the disciples were sort of eating together, as, as we will later at dinner, um, imagine just one, one of the mother, uh, the mother of James and John came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, let my sons sit at your left and right in glory. And this is a huge request, right? So this imagine, for those of you who are at internship, right, imagine your mother go up to your boss and say, can you give him the job? Can you give him a raise? Can you give him like, the, a better position? Why? Wow, it's like the ultimate helicopter parenting, right? When you ask your son's boss directly, you never even say the CV, you never even say, you know, my sons have this, have this, you know, they are great fishermen, they catch how many fish a day. She just say, can, you, can they sit beside you in glory, you know? Can you promote them? And it, I mean, we, we can laugh, right? But it sounds very Singaporean, 
right? Where is the where I'm pretty sure if we were Jesus' disciples, we also ask him, How can I be the greatest disciple? How can I be the best? You know, even for food, right? We want something that has five stars. We want something that is on the Makan Sutra, or like there's a little picture of being featured on the Channel 8 um, food shows, or with the MP or something at the, at the hawkers. Right? For assessment books and TYS, we must get the, from the best schools. Right, and for I know for I mean six six just passed, but for for a lot of us looking for good deals, we join Telegram groups or what, right? Where there's open shows for for discounts, right? And Jesus, hearing this request for greatness, tells these disciples. He gathers the the, the young men together, and he tells them what the greatness what greatness looks like in the kingdom of God, right? And this account is repeated in several gospels, but here in Mark, Jesus says in verse forty two. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I think you can imagine just how confused some of these disciples are, right? Why is teenagers, and they ask, how can I be great? And then Jesus gives them this answer, you know, it, it probably flew by their heads, right? And, you know, they must be thinking, Jesus, we are talking about, you know, being great. You know, we want to get promoted. We want to be in glory. Why are you talking about being servants? You know, what does this mean, right? And in all the Gospels where this lesson is being recorded, Jesus would have told his disciples that in his kingdom, those who are last now will be first then. Means last in this world, first in the kingdom. Those who are first will be the last. And I think some of us have heard this saying before, right? And I don't know, maybe some of you have used it even in your own context, right? Yesterday, there was a bus IC that texted us and she probably said, you know, coming to Malaysia, my bus was the last to reach hotel. But when we come back, my bus is the first. We are here in Tangling first. So first shall be the last and last shall be the first. Or sometimes, you know, when you are going for a movie or going to a party, right, and you are the last to arrive. But usually last to arrive means you can get out faster and move to the food queue faster. So you, you tell your friends, wow, first shall be last, last shall be first. But you, did Jesus really, really mean, you know, these things when he said it? Because you see in Greek society at the time, there are many tiers of people. There's many um, tiers in the social hierarchy. Right? And servants were some of the, were some of the lowest, tier, uh, lowest in, the, in the hierarchy. Right? Some servants will look after houses, some after horses, some after property. But Jesus laid it out very clearly that those that would be great must be servants. And whoever must be the first must be the slave of all. The highest tier in God's kingdom is slave, the title, or bond servant in some translations. So we see why some people call the kingdom of God an upside-down kingdom, a topsy-turvy kingdom, right? Where Jesus places servants at the very top of his kingdom hierarchy. And it's a radical thing to say and a radical thing to think about. Yet Jesus says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you are called to be a servant. So let's keep this definition of greatness in mind as I just share two simple points for us, which you will notice is just the big idea with different emphasis on different keywords. Right? So my first point 
is serving others is the most Christ-like thing you can do. Turn to your friend and say, Christ-like. Christ-like. So in the passage today, we see that, you know, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus was the embodiment of His definition of greatness. Many moments throughout Jesus' ministry and Jesus' life, He performed acts that only slaves and servants would perform. He washed the feet of His disciples. He bound up the wounds of lepers. And Paul encourages us in his letter to the Philippians to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing, a, a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 7. Right? And so we see in this letter that this phrase, form of God, right? And, and because, you know, Jesus was not just outwardly God. He was inwardly God also. He is God, right? In, this tra- in some translations, form is translated to nature. So Jesus always had the nature of God but he took on the nature of a servant. This idea doesn't really pass very well from Greek to English, but what we can say is, for example, we can say Jesus was truly God and he became truly a servant. Prior to his incarnation, Jesus existed in uncreated form, in a perfect state, but he gave up that outward form to reach us in our unrecoverable state of sin. God incarnate became human, a creature formed of the same dust as us to show Christ's love and humility. And this, I think, is the image of God that we must have in our head today as we consider service, the suffering servant king. Right? And, and, you know, this is just not just in the past. Imagine now and forever, right, in the eternal throne room of the Holy God, there is a servant king at the right hand of God, in the place of honour, in the throne room of glory. What does this say about who God is? What does this say about how much God values servanthood, how much God values love and humility? And right now, Christ still demonstrates a servant heart. We see Romans chapter 8, verse 24, which says, you know, uh, we, see, we read the verse and we see that, you know, Christ isn't just, He's ascended, He isn't just shaking His leg, chilling in heaven beside the Father, right? He's not like spectating a game, like, you know, watching our lives, right? It says in Romans 8 that Christ intercedes for you. He intercedes for you, He prays for you, right? He's praying for you right now. Right? How many of us actually take time, right, to pray for your friends regularly? I think not many. I mean, I'm guilty also. Lah. But most of us, you know, we just pray regularly for maybe your family or your closest friends, right? Or, yeah, maybe your closest friends at best. But this servant king who sits at the right hand of God, who doesn't really have to do that, he prays for you. He prays for you right now. He intercedes for you right now. Right? And, and with this in mind, right, with this picture in mind, don't let this slip. Don't let this escape you, right? Some of us come to church expecting to be served, expecting to be rewarded for, for just showing up. 
right? And, and Jesus Christ, God Himself, right? Of all the people that deserve to be rewarded, of all the people that deserve to be rewarded for just showing up in the world, Jesus Christ, He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And this servant king is the one that we are serving. This is the one that we just sang all our praises and all our worship to. This is the name that we call ourselves by when you call yourself Christian. You know, that is the, that is our king. So, I think then, you know, some of us might have it mixed up. You know, we don't come to grace groups to be served. Can I hear amen? <laughs> we don't come to church to be served. We don't come to God to be served. But what? To serve. To serve. Right, so friends, servanthood ministry, it's not about your personality. It's not about how you feel. It's not about what you think is right. Being a servant is about who we follow, who we want to be like. Right, so the key question today, I want you to ask yourself, do you want to be like Christ? Do you want to be like our servant king? And you know, next gen, before joining Gap, right, I had my own dreams and my own hopes, right? Growing up, a lot of people told me that I'm a very diplomatic person. Okay, sometimes too diplomatic, right? Sometimes, I, I, yeah, I have trouble being honest. But um, I also have a flair for languages, right? So I've always had this dream in my head to, to be a diplomat, right? To be an ambassador. I mean, yeah, I mean, Shocking lah, diplomatic diplomat, right? But, but yeah, besides this, I had many, many, many other dreams, right? I think um, as young people, so this happens to us a lot, right? When we look at the paths ahead of us, there are many, many paths to take in the world that's, you know, right for the taking. We have our future right ahead of us. You know, we think to ourselves, I can be, if I want to, I can be an artist, I can be a writer, I can be a diplomat, I can be a doctor, I can be an astronaut, I can be an entrepreneur. All these paths call out to you and they call out to me as I was growing up. And so can you imagine my reaction when I heard God say, go full time. Huh? I told God, huh? I'm only, okay, I'm not going to say my age. I'm only under 30. Eh? <laughs> huh? Why now, Lord? You know, I, st I still want to be so many other things, you know, before locking myself into full-time. You know, Lord, I already serve you on the weekends. Sometimes, you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't just do one ministry, I do a few. That's my whole weekend, really, you know, Lord. Please, please, please let me live, you know, let me live. Call me, call me again when I'm retired. You know, call me again when, when I've lived my life and I, I've had my adventures, right? Yeah, and I remember saying this to the Lord. I don't want to serve. I want to be great. <laughs> but through answering the call, and seeking the Lord for answers, I think the Lord's reply was just this one line. And he told me, don't you know, serving makes you great. Serving makes you great. And after hearing this, I just, okay, okay, God, you win, right? I don't know, how some, I don't know why sometimes we think we can win God, right? When we, when we argue with Him or when we, talk, when we whine to Him. But I say, okay, Lord, you win. Right, you win. And I, and I 
and I recognize that, right? And this is why, of all the open topics I can be talking about, this is why I'm talking about it today, right? Because I'm living it, right? I've seen how serving the Lord has given me a sense of purpose, a hope and a joy that I don't think money or promotions or prestige of all, all my old dreams, you know, could ever give me, right? And, and I just want to be also crystal clear about this. It's not easy. The path of servanthood is, is never, never easy, right? Which brings me to my second point, which is serving others is the most Christ-like thing you can do. Okay, tell, your, uh, tell the person beside you, do. Do. Yeah, so just now it's Christ-like, now it's do. Okay. And you know why I emphasize this word, right? Because all of us think greatness and serving, it sounds very good in your head, right? Uh, all of us want to be great. But how many of us want to put in the work? How many of us, when the rubber hits the road, we are willing to persevere through it? Because next gen, admiration is very different from application, right? How many, of, how many of us, you know, we walk past a construction worker today on your way to service? Like maybe on the bus, you see a construction worker that is just on his way to work or, or working already. I think we, we might have at least seen one, uh, right? And we really admire these foreign workers, you know. We thank them. We, we feature them up during, you know, National Day. We buy them a nice cold drink and a, and a packet of rice sometimes. But admiration is not application. We can admire someone and be grateful for what they do, but most of us won't want to take up the task of building roads, building HDBs. You know, it's a noble job, you know, but we just like to admire it from afar, you know. We, we don't really want to take on um, hard jobs, right? And, and the thing is, you can admire something, but until you love it, you won't do it. Even if I force you to do it, unless you love it, you won't do it for long, right? And so I want to say, the first sub-point about serving, right, which is that serving is messy. Serving is messy. And all the leaders say, okay, don't say so loud, don't say so loud. Later they don't want to. <laughs> serving is messy, okay? I can tell you that as someone serving the house today, church is messy, Serving is painful. Serving is full of suffering. You know, sometimes when we think about the ministry of Jesus, we are sitting in our nice, you know, aircon room, uh, in our nice chairs, or, in, uh, or, or lying down sometimes even while we read the Bible, and we have the privilege of being far, far, far away from the ministry of Jesus, right? And it's not bad, you know, having a nice environment to read your Bible is nice. It's nice. But Jesus didn't have this luxury when he was doing his ministry. You know, as he ministered to the sick, he ministered to the poor, he ministered to the dying. And you know, sick people, they have a smell, right? Some sicknesses, some diseases have more smell than others. You know, dead people have a smell, right? And Jesus didn't just drive around in an aircon car with his portable fan, no, 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 no. It was hot. It was hot. It was smelly. It was dusty. It was grimy. Ministry was tough work. You know, and Jesus often ministered to crowds, which means plenty of hot, sweaty people in the same room, right? Already in a warm climate because 
Israel is, a is in a desert. Right? So these people are often pressed up against Jesus, waiting for ministry, right? waiting to be ministered to by Jesus. And I think these few days, many of us have already complained about how hot the weather has been. Uh, you know, and, but someone like Jesus continued to minister and teach and preach and heal and serve and save people. And friends, serving isn't comfortable. And I don't think Jesus meant it to be comfortable when he said it. But for some of us, maybe our, our conviction to serve sometimes is like ice cream, you know, it, it melts in the heat. It's okay to serve here, but <laughs> like, you know, when you call me outside, when you call me to do stuff, maybe I'm not so willing, right? But serving, serving is what helps us to step out of our comfort zones, to step out of our bubbles, to step out of our lives, to touch the lives of others. This means getting down in the dirt, right? And indulge me this, cell leaders, how many of you have been ghosted before on the chat? <laughs> I just want to say you are seen and you are acknowledged, but just sometimes not replied to, right? Ushers, how many of you have been ignored by some people at the door, right? You like smile and like, hi, welcome, but like, you know, we kind of get a lukewarm response, right? Sound engineers, how many of your sets you serve, right? Everything's going smoothly, but one moment the mic starts beating bad at everybody. <laughs> right, friends, friends. Wherever there are people, right, there are problems. And I'm a person, you're a person, we bring those problems. And yet Jesus came as the ultimate answer to our problems. He taught us the ultimate answer, how to look beyond our problems to serve others, to help others in their problems. Choosing to serve, choosing to act, is you committing to clean up the mess. And to the, and you know, you are, it's you committing to the mess that is problems, the mess of pain, the mess of suffering. And I, I read this brilliant quote um, by Nate Palmer in his book, uh, servanthood as worship, and I'll just put it up on the slide as I read it. Right? And I think this perfectly sums up uh, today's, uh, this sub-point about messiness. Right? And it says, Life without messiness and inconvenience is a life without true service. God meets us in the mess, people are served in the mess, and Christ will redeem the mess. Those, through serving, we witness our own mess. And no amount of mess will ever invalidate the church's place as the principal context for service to God and one another. God calls us to serve regardless of the mess. He uses our service to address the mess. Service begins and finds its fulfillment in the church. And working on our own messes inside the church is essential to our mission as believers. So that's one sub point, that serving is messy, right? But I also don't want to mislead you into thinking that that's all serving is because honestly, serving is also joyful. There's a lot of joy in serving also, right? As much as there is pain, there is joy. I remember being in the lift one day late into my GAP program, right, with my fellow GAP intern, Matt, uh, and we were both in the lift holding our iced coffees, um, getting ready to, to, to go up to do some duties. Um, 
And you know, yeah, we had iced coffees because, you know, ministering to people on Sunday and then Grace Group in the evening and then we wake up early on Sunday and, you know, you kind of need drip coffee, right? And I don't mean like drip brew coffee. I mean like you hook the coffee up to the IV drip and then like you just drip it directly in, right? <laughs> and we are tired, but we are awake and we are here and we are, on, we are on our way up to our duties, right? And re- I remember telling Matthew, hey, actually, y'all, I kind of like being here like, on Sunday. <laughs> he remembers it. I kind of like being here on service. Like, I don't know why. Yeah. Then he turned to me and said, yeah, I'm so, yeah. And we had a genuine existential moment of like, what's wrong with us? <laughs> like, what's happening to us? <laughs> and I remember one service, of the many services that we were at, and, and we were closing in prayer, and, and Gideon, who was the service leader, felt led to call on the congregation to link hands and pray together for unity. I can't remember exactly what sermon it was. But in that moment, right, as the church was deep in prayer, holding hands, looking up to God, I remember getting so emotional right at the back of the hall, right? At the back of this hall, in Battle Hall. And I was tearing up with joy because I get to witness this beautiful moment between Christ and His church, leaning into each other, enjoying each other's presence. I get the privilege to witness this moment. If not, I'll be asleep, right? Yeah, I get to witness this moment and I get to be a part of the team that facilitates this process every week. Are there still Sunday mornings where I feel like my my, my, my pillow is super glued to my head? Yes, yes, there are Sunday mornings. Tomorrow might be one. But ask me how I am by Sunday afternoon and I will say the joy of the Lord is my strength. Serving doesn't just change the environment around you. It doesn't just change the people around you. It changes you most of all. Right? It changes your heart most of all. And the, and the last point I want to mention about serving today is we serve because we are all part of the same spiritual family. Speaking of family, right, I just want to bring up an analogy of household chores. Right? So how many of you do household chores at home? You cook, uh, you clean, uh, you wash. Uh. Yeah, you can raise your hands. It's a proud thing to, it's a, it's a, it's a thing to be quite proud of. You know, yeah. And I, I guess for those of you with parents in church, we'll ask your parents for the real answer. But <laughs> I want to ask, right, after you do your chores, right, after you wipe the window or like you finish the ironing the clothes, do you ask your mom for money? Do you ask your dad for, 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 for money? Uh, I don't think so. Lah. I don't think so. Right? Because you don't serve the house or you don't, just, you don't serve your household as a paid servant. You serve your household because you are a son, because you are a daughter because you belong to the house, right? You do the chores because you are part of the house and you want to love the house. In the same way, we are sons and daughters in the house of God, right? We serve, I mean, we play instruments and we, and we do the visuals and we do the sound, not because we have to, but because we get to, because we love the house, because we want to serve and own this house. And I can truly say that when you love this house, when you love the house of God, then your actions are the clearest indicators of your heart. Right? And so, 
all this said and done, I just have one application point, and you can flash the slide. Yeah, so, uh, oh, the slide's not up yet, but uh, yeah, I just have one application point. Thanks for serving visuals. Thanks for serving. <laughs> I, thanks. Okay, you can help me click the slide. Uh, I see your hearts. <laughs> okay, anyway, we, uh, I can talk about the slides uh, being uh, on the way. Uh, serving is messy, right? Serving is messy. <laughs> The application point for today, <laughs> and I'm only half kidding when I flash this slide, right? This recruitment slide. Because obviously, church is not the only place to serve, right? There is not the only way to serve the Lord. But I want, what I want to emphasize is putting what you hear today to action. Rick Warren once said, the only way you can serve God is by serving other people. The only way you can serve God is by serving others. And so, although there are many ways to serve others in your life, serving a ministry in this church is the most direct and the most obvious way. If you have another way, please go ahead, right, to, to apply to this sermon. Right, and you don't only have to serve in church, you know, um, yeah, but you get the point, right, that serving here, serving this house is the most direct conclusion that you can come to. Right, so as I close sermon today, Right, I just want you to remember one line, right? And it, this line is a big idea. It's point one, it's point two. Remember, serving others is the most Christ-like thing you can do. Serving others is the most Christ-like thing you can do. And today as we close, I want you to ask yourself honestly, how can I be more like the servant king, Jesus? What is one step I can take to love and to serve those around me. As we close our eyes and as we bow our heads today, I want to have an altar call for two groups of people. One group of you already know who you are, right? For all of us today, they say to the Lord, I'm tired of being a consumer. I want to make a change for you. I want to serve you, Lord. I want to be a more Christ-like Christian. I want to put my hands to the plow, even if I know that it will be messy, even if I know that it will be tiring. If this is you and you want to step up to serve, why don't you raise your hands to the Lord today? Just raise your hands to the Lord and commit to serving. I see that hand. that came to mind already there is a person that came to mind already that you can serve and the Lord today the, the Lord today is saying is calling you to commit to that not just to hear it in your heart but to commit to it and a second group of people that I want to call on are people who are already serving. But you want the Lord to come and renew your servant heart today. You know, we all get discouraged. 
we all get tired, especially coming back from something like retreat. And we complain and we say, why, Lord? Why must I do this? For those who are tired, for those who are burning out, for those who are jaded in your service, I want you to know that you are not alone. You are not alone in your tiredness. You are not alone in your discouragement. You are not alone in your anxiety. Jesus has been there in that tired and discouraged state. Other believers, from the apostles to the people sitting right beside you, have been there before. And the word of the Lord says in Isaiah, Wait on the Lord, and you will renew your strength. You will rise on wings like eagles. You will run and not be weary. You will walk and not be faint. If this is you today, and you want to wait on the Lord, to seek Him for strength and to seek Him for sustenance. Why don't you also lift your hands up to the Lord? You are tired. You might be a bit disheartened in service and you just tell the Lord, Lord, I want to serve you with all that I am. But Lord, I want to wait for you at the altar. I want to hear your voice. Lord, I want you to renew my strength in me. If this is you, why don't you raise your hands right now to the Lord, right now. serving us right now if you are up in the visuals booth if you are up in the sound if you are anywhere on even on stage anywhere in the background behind the scenes if you feel the spirit calling you to respond to the altar today I encourage you to just come down to the front and let the Lord minister to you and renew your strength why don't we stand together as we worship and if you have responded to any of these altar calls you feel a tugging in your heart that the Spirit is calling you to serve. We want to pray with you. We want to pray and support you through this decision to serve the Lord. So why don't you come to the front right now as we worship the Lord.
us have responded. And I want you to take the step of walking out of your seat as something prophetic. Something that you say to the Lord, I'm stepping out of my comfort zone just as you did. I want to walk in your purposes. I want to walk in your plans. I want to help me, Lord, bless others. So once again, the altars are open. Just begin to come. Begin to receive. Just begin to respond to the Lord as He calls you in son. Yeah. Hey. 